Girl Daily podcast, written by Stephanie Bond, narrated by Tegan Ashton Cohan, produced by Propeller Sound Studios. December 1st, Friday. When I opened my eyes, I was utterly disoriented. My throat ached and I couldn't feel my arms. I tried to move, but I was paralyzed. In the pitch blackness, my mind reeled. I knew something was terribly wrong, but it took my memory several long minutes to catch up. I'd been walking on my way to meet someone, my former boss, Portia, for a late lunch. Then I'd seen something, no, someone, one of the teenage boys who hung out around Triangle Point. And he'd been with another person, a man, a bad man. The man from the video who had climbed out of Elena Padilla's car in the parking garage after killing her, most likely. Z something or other. Zenith. Vargo. Detective Jack Terry had said the man was a known human trafficker. When I'd seen him jab the boy with something that made him go limp, I'd run toward them screaming for him to let the boy go. And it appeared I'd been exceedingly unsuccessful. Ack! What had the man injected into me? My brain was positively gluey. I moved my throbbing head and felt scratchy carpet beneath my cheek. I was lying face down with my wrists bound behind me. I tried to roll my stiff body and discovered my ankles were also bound. I turned my head painfully and blinked wide until my eyes adjusted to the dark and I could make out a few shapes in my surroundings. Since my face was inches away from a wheel hump, I concluded I was in the back of a parked panel van, presumably the same one the man had thrown the boy into. From the absence of outdoor noise, I surmised the van was sitting inside and from the pervasive chill, had been for some time. I mustered my strength and managed to roll over into another person. I sucked in a choking breath, unable to scream past a constricted throat. A good thing, I realized a half second later. If Fargo was in the vicinity, I didn't want to alert him I was awake. I'd bumped into the teenage boy, I realized, and since he didn't react, he must still be unconscious. I hoped. Hey, I whispered in a croaky voice. Are you awake? He didn't respond. We were lying back to back. I pulled against my hand restraints, but there was no give. I wiggled my numb fingers until the needles of returning sensation subsided and I could feel his hands behind mine. I carefully found his wrist and pressed a finger into it, relieved when I felt a faint but steady pulse. I yanked on his hands. Hey, wake up! But he didn't move. I reasoned either he'd gotten a bigger dose than I had, or my bigger body had burned through the tranquilizer more quickly. So, maybe the pounds I'd been packing on lately had one benefit. 
I wriggled onto the wheel hump for elevation, and after much huffing and puffing, managed to lift myself to a seated position. The head rush almost made me pass out. I sat and breathed deeply until the sensation passed, then assessed my physical condition. I was still clothed, thank God, in the dress and jacket I'd been wearing for my meeting. The straps on my high-heeled sandals had kept them on my feet during the scuffle. My purse was missing, along with its contents, including my wallet and phone. My kidnapper could use both to find out everything about me, if he cared to know, including the fact that I was financially strapped. I was so thirsty I could barely swallow. Conversely, my bladder was uncomfortably full. I wondered how long I'd been in here, then remembered I'd felt a watch on the teen's wrist. I wriggled back over to him and blindly stabbed at his cheap rubber watch until a tiny light illuminated the face. 1.27 a.m. I winced. I'd been here over 12 hours. Had anyone missed me? Or would I, like Elena, go missing for days, weeks, before anyone even noticed? I'd missed the meeting with Portia, but she might have thought I'd changed my mind about the promised new position with Traxton Pharmaceuticals. At the most, she would have left a message on my phone. My roommate and former personal assistant Anthony had known I was going to meet Portia, but if I didn't show up at the condo for a couple of nights, he might simply think I was staying with my fiancé Kyle. Meanwhile, my fiancé Kyle wasn't accustomed to seeing me more than once or twice a week, and recently we'd fallen into the routine of spending Sundays together. So, theoretically, it could be another two or three days before he questioned my whereabouts. My fingers were stiff and cold, but I felt my finger with my thumb and was relieved to find the ring intact. The stone was turned to the underside of my finger. Maybe the Zenith character had overlooked it in his haste to truss me up like a pig. My boss at the Anita Temp Agency, Jun Wu, knew my plan all along had been to go back to work for Traxton. So she wouldn't worry if she didn't see me for a while. Especially since I'd cost her a couple of accounts lately. The gym. And the dry cleaners. And suddenly... I remembered where I recognized Zenith Vargo from. He was one of the men standing on the loading dock of the dry cleaners the day I futilely waited for Amy, another teen who'd hung around Triangle Point, to leave from her job in the oppressive backroom operations. And the light from the boy's watch revealed our bindings were plastic bags. On closer inspection, I noticed familiar markings. I'd spent hours operating the spinner rack of garments covered with those bags. Was the dry cleaners a front for a human trafficking ring? I'd found Elena's missing earring wedged under a door there, where she'd performed cleaning services as part of her employment through Junwoo's agency. Had she stumbled onto something while working at the dry cleaners that had put her life in jeopardy? The sound of muffled voices reached me, sending my vital signs into overdrive. I wriggled back down to the floor, closed my eyes, and went limp, just as the rear van doors opened. Are they dead? A man's voice asked, 
His tone indicated it wouldn't be the end of the world if we were. No. Another man said more harshly. Zenith Vargo, I presumed. I felt a sharp smack to my bare leg. I had to fight my urge to recoil. Wake up. Vargo shouted, then smacked my leg again. My heart was pounding so hard, I was sure they could hear it, but I didn't move. A noise sounded as if they'd hit or punched the teenage boy. He didn't respond either. Give him another hour, Vargo said. From the echo of the men's voices, I guessed we were in some kind of parking garage or warehouse. But where? In twelve hours, the man could have driven to Miami. Or Chicago, or Detroit, or across the Mexican border. The thought sent a chill up my spine. Isn't she a little old for this? The first man remarked. Great. Judgmental kidnappers. I had to take her, Fargo said. She tried to interfere. Think we can find a buyer? She's kind of porky. Somewhere, the girl working the gym counter was smiling. Some men like the fatties. Fargo said, I don't mind a juicy rump myself on occasion. Fear washed over me. Was this how my life was going to end? Indentured sex slave to some dominating man or... Gulp. Group of men? I was positive the reality would not be the titillating experience described in popular novels. Well, since she's asleep. The first man offered. When his vile suggestion sank in, my heart seized. With my hands and feet bound, I'd be unable to fight them off. My only hope was they would find my industrial strength shapewear too much to deal with. Quiet. Vargo bit out, his voice alert. What was that? I didn't hear anything. Shut up. Someone's outside. I strained my ears and heard a distant, unintelligible noise. Go see, Vargo said. I heard the sound of running feet as the man obeyed. Then the unmistakable chick-chick of an automatic weapon being checked. My blood ran cold. The first man pounded back. Cops. Fucking everywhere. What are we going to do? We are going to be quiet. Fargo said calmly. This is a big facility. They can't check every storage unit. Not without a warrant. They'll never know we're here. He closed the fan doors with a quiet thunk. My heart raced. Help was nearby, so now was the time to raise an alarm. But how? The horn. If I could get to the steering wheel, I could make some noise. But that meant getting over the seat into the cab. And if by some miracle the key was in the ignition, I could drive it through a door if I had to. But I needed to at least free my ankles to be ready to drive. Or run. Adrenaline forced me back to a seated position, my mind sprinting as to how I could cut the plastic bag that bit into my ankles as surely as a cord. I needed something sharp. 
or jagged. My engagement ring. Hoping the stone or the prongs would be strong enough to compromise the cinched plastic, I lumbered to my knees to position my bound hands behind my back over my bound ankles. I was sweating, knowing Vargo and his crony could return any second and decide my chunky ass wasn't worth saving to sell. There was no finesse involved. I dragged my ring across the ties on my ankles, hacking away, missing more times than I made contact. Within a minute or so, my arm muscles were screaming. I'd been kicked out of the gym a lousy two weeks ago and atrophy was already setting in. At last, I heard a satisfying rip of plastic and a few more hacks loosened the binds enough to pull them apart. My relief was so complete, I went limp a few seconds before remembering my mission. I lumbered forward on my knees, falling on my face twice before reaching the front seat. I lasered in on the ignition, but to my supreme disappointment, there were no keys. The horn was my only hope. I propelled myself over the seat and struggled to reach the horn. I managed to stab it with my elbow, but it took a few tries to make solid contact. When the horn first blasted, it scared even me. But I knew I only had a few seconds before Vargo would be back to silence me. Too late, I realized. I should have locked the doors first. Damn it. The next time I was kidnapped, I would be better prepared. I leaned on the horn. Gratified the metal walls of the storage facility amplified the noise. Suddenly, the driver's side door opened, and Vargo treated me to a string of expletives. He dragged me out of the cab, and I landed hard on the concrete floor on my back. Before I had time to process the pain, Vargo pulled a handgun out of his belt and aimed it at me. On pure instinct, I rolled under the van. Vargo was incensed, now screaming at me. He stuck the gun under the van and fired blindly. The bullet pinged off metal near me and I screamed as loudly as I could past my painful throat. Vargo's mean face appeared under the van and he leveled the gun at me. Die, bitch. My life flashed before me and sadly, I realized most of it had not been happy. If I'd known I was going to die young, I would have loved more easily and eaten more cheesecake. When the shot sounded, I reasoned he'd shot a part of me that was numb from lack of circulation. So, as it turned out, dying wasn't so bad. I waited for the white light and the voice of God. Or the other guy. It could go either way. Della? Wow. I hadn't expected God to sound like Detective Jack Terry. Della? I turned my head to see him lying on the ground, staring at me. Are you okay? The... Argo? I managed. He's not getting up anytime soon. Are you injured? I shook my head and burst into tears. There now. It's all over. I'm gonna pull you out slowly. Let me know if anything hurts. 
I let him drag me from under the van like a sack of crying potatoes. He sat me up and cut the binds around my wrists. We need an ambulance. He called to someone. Then he looked back to me and smiled. There are a lot of people looking for you. My boss reported me missing? I croaked. No, your boyfriend. Kyle? Jack squinted. I thought his name was Charlie. Stephanie Bond, author of the Temp Girl Daily Podcast, saying thanks so much for listening. If you like Temp Girl, you might enjoy my other fiction podcast, Coma Girl, available in its entirety to binge wherever you listen to podcasts. But come back tomorrow for another daily episode of Temp Girl. Yeah, we're